Tonight, I hate tonight. I hate the last night. Oh, goodness. I love you. I don't have to like this night. Um, Kirsten and I were just talking in the back, and at the end of uh, a season, just nothing feels good enough to me. I miss you. Doesn't feel that, doesn't feel great. I mean, it's whatever. Um, I love you sounds great, but it's just, you, you know, you, you know there's leaving and, and stuff. Um, saying I'll never forget you is a total lie, because I'll totally forget you from time to time, and so that doesn't work. Uh, anyway, he's got all these problems with stuff, you know, and, and, and saying see you in the resurrection <laughs> sounds a little bit like have a good summer in a yearbook, you know, or something. Uh, and I think it's a little more powerful than that or a TTYL or something. But, um, uh, and on top of that, I just know there's some of you in this room, quite frankly, that, that um, maybe haven't connected super well with lots of other people here. And so um, nostalgia or tears um, may, may seem foreign. Um, and that's okay. Um, that's okay. You don't have to connect deeply with everybody here to, to come on Tuesday nights or whatever. Uh, anyway, the whole thing just feels weird. And when it gets like really nostalgic like this, I think some of my youth stuff comes up and I, I have a lot of issues from my childhood, like all of you. And they're just maybe unique and different. I don't know. But um, a lot of people left in my life. So I think when like endings come, there's a part of me that's like, whatever. Uh, and, and I just don't know what to do. And I, I think all day I've been frustrated and wrestling in prayer. And I feel like the Lord has just been saying um, an acronym I learned in junior ROTC. Uh, which is some of the reason why I had issues in my youth. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, and tonight, that's what I've been thinking about is I need to keep this simple. Um, yeah, almost like for me, when things get bigger, I want to get smaller and, and stay really focused and stuff like that. So I just have a lot of these sort of feelings in my night. And tonight, we're going to look at the end of the Gospel of John, and I want to tell you the story, and I want to give you just an invitation and a command from Jesus, okay? Okay. Um, I know when we come to the end of things, and this is true for all of us, I think, to some degree, we come to the end of a thing, end of a semester. I don't care if you're graduating and moving on or you're just going into sophomore year or, or, or your second senior year or whatever. Um, uh, when we come to the end of a thing, we often reflect. Some of us push it back, but it's because it's a natural, you know, response to sort of reflect on things. And I think we probably should. It's healthy to pause, to uh, digest, to recalibrate to get our bearings. Um, it feels to me often like when I reflect, I'm taking a bunch of pieces from my life and I'm deciding the order that they need to go in. What's the story I'm going to tell with these pieces? Eight months ago, I put on this shirt for the first time. It's Operation Move-In Day. Uh, and you might remember that day, I don't know. Uh, you may just remember the week. Maybe you moved in Sunday. You're like sophomore. You're like, Monday morning, I'm moving to school. That's fine. Um, I put this on before you got here. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> I want you to try to think back to what happened over the course of the last eight months. What's happened in the last eight months of your life? Think about eight months ago when you were looking forward to new roommate situations or new classes. Definitely, for those of you that aren't freshmen, new resolutions to study, new romantic hopes. That's funny. Uh, what's happened? What's happened since then? What's happened since your first midterms, like this, the first semester midterms? The presidential election. Thanksgiving. Since finals last semester. Or since Christmas break. 
when you come back for the New Year's or Valentine's Day or spring break, which just happened? What's God been up to this year? And what will things look like in the future? You don't have enough time as I rattle off these questions to put things into place if you haven't already been doing it. You, you don't have time to do that. That takes some time. But, but I'm, I'm utterly convinced that God is weaving a story in every single one of our lives. There is a story he's telling. There's a story he's leading us into. I suspect that some of us don't even know what it is. I remember, I remember being a junior in college, sitting in a room like this, when a girl stood up and she was giving a bit of her testimony. She was a senior and she was getting ready to graduate and, and she wanted to tell the testimony of God's work in her life over the course of college. And she said, I have one word for each year, so I have four words. And she said, my freshman year was this, and my, junior, my sophomore year was this. And, junior. and I remember going like, one word, what? Like, and it just, but it was beautiful to hear the way that she recapitulated that, the way she retold the story of her college life. And I think that's an invitation for a lot of us. And I'm, I'm actually really excited about the scriptures tonight and in, in where they landed. I've, I've known since the beginning of the semester that we would end the Gospel of John in John 21, and I've had hopes to sort of send us off into the summer in particular ways. But, but in, in studying and writing for this, all I can think about is the uniqueness of every single one of our stories and how God attends to those. And how it really matters that your story is not somebody else's. That it's yours. And that it's shared, but it's yours. And the scripture tonight details two totally different stories of the lives of, of Jesus's, two of Jesus' disciples two different people, two different personality types, two different sets of circumstances, two totally different stories. And I want you to see tonight that Jesus is Lord over both and that neither one of these is intrinsically better than the other. I'm grateful for the scripture and these words because we're gonna see Jesus carry his church into the future and attend to the uniqueness of our lives and the way he treats his disciples. So I want you to watch him and I want you to listen to his invitation and his command tonight as we look at this last chapter of the Gospel of John. So let's pray and we'll get into the chapter. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for my friends in this room. Thank you for the honor and joy of sharing life together over the course of this year. I know that you are next year going to bring all sorts of new students to this campus. I just don't give a rat's ass about them right now. Um, I care a lot about these people, and I'm really grateful to be here with them. Um, I'm sorry for cussing in prayer. Uh, <laughs> as, we, as we look at this final chapter of your gospel, it's your gospel that you share with us, surely. Um, the good news that is eternally in you and your being Would your spirit be on the move ministering to each and every one of us? Helping us to know how much you love us uniquely. Helping us to not compare our stories with other people, but to hear you say to each and every one of us, follow me. And may the seed of your word get planted deeply in our hearts and mind and, and, and bear fruit that looks like your son in our lives that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the last chapter of the Gospel of John, um, it opens up with Jesus on the edge of the Sea of Tiberias, and he's looking out onto the water where many of his disciples 
They're fishing. And this is the first time in John's gospel, incidentally, that we even know that they're fishermen, that that hasn't come up before in his gospel. But we know from other accounts of them that this is, for many of them, this was their life before they met Jesus. This was their job. This is the way they, they sort of made money. And some of them even knew each other from fishing. And so there they are, after Jesus had died and risen again, doing what they used to do, and they're failing miserably at it. They had been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. Do they even remember, I wonder, just days before when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing? I don't know. Well, right around sunrise, this voice comes from the beach. You guys catch anything? Nope, they say. Then cast the net over on the other side of the boat, and you're going to find some fish. And I, I wonder what they're thinking in that moment, right? That they're, they're professionals. They've been doing this all night. And I, su I suspect that they had to have identified with failure. They had to have internalized and realized something about failure. Because we don't take advice from strangers unless we're desperate. It's just not something we're prone to do. And so hungry and tired, they throw their net over on the other side of the boat. And so many fish fill the net that they struggle to haul it in. Now John, the guy who wrote this gospel, he remembers that moment, that very moment. That moment he knew who it was on the beach. He saw that the net was miraculously full after being empty all night, like fish literally jumping into it because their creator willed it. And he knew. And so he turned to Peter and he said, that's our Lord. And... and naked Peter threw on his clothes and threw himself into the water running to meet Jesus. And when they arrive on the land, there was Jesus cooking breakfast over a fire and it shouldn't be a surprise that while they had been working hard to catch fish without him, he was already cooking fish for them over the fire. It's funny, he says, bring your fish, but he doesn't even need it. You know? He says, come have breakfast. That's what the Lord says. Come have breakfast. And after breakfast, Jesus has this iconic conversation with Peter. Many of you, I'm sure, are somewhat familiar with the story, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. And a third time, Simon, son of John, by the way, there's, I wonder if there's tenderness here because up until now he's been called Peter for a long time. Jesus renamed Simon Peter. Named him the rock, or rocky, on you I'm going to build my church kind of language. On this rock language, like there's this kind of stuff happening with him. And I wonder after Peter's great failure, if Jesus doesn't call him the rock for a minute, but he goes back to a, a, the, the tender man that he met before he renamed it. I don't know, there's something here, but he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me the third time? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And do you know that the last time Peter looked at Jesus, or do you know the last time Peter looked at Jesus over a charcoal fire? It was when he had denied Jesus for the third time. And here, with their eyes locked again, looking over a charcoal fire, Jesus three times offers Peter forgiveness and sets him upright in the community of disciples. 
Then Jesus says something really interesting to Peter. We'll pick it up in verse 18 and 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then parenthetically, John actually tells us what's going on here. This, he's like, if you can imagine, this happens a lot. Somebody's like in a Bible study and somebody goes, I bet you he was telling this for this reason or that reason, and I just want to go keep reading. Uh, This he said to show by what death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And do you know what Peter does when Jesus says this to him? Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Follow me. What does Peter do? He looks over his shoulder and he sees John following them. And he says, well, what about that guy? In verse 22 is Jesus' response. Jesus says to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. In other words, you mind your own business, Peter. I've told you what to do. Follow me. Peter so you know, would soon preach a sermon that would inaugurate the church. And he would, he would literally, like the, the spirit would fall, Peter would preach, and thousands came to know God. Like the church went from somewhere less than 500, we're not totally sure exactly, to thousands in a matter of hours. And Peter was there in that moment proclaiming the gospel. Jesus would, would inaugurate the church through Peter, and Peter would go on proclaiming the good news of Jesus and performing miracles, seeing the church of Jesus grow by thousands and thousands more. Before legend has it, he was eventually dragged off to be killed for his faith in Christ. And when they went to crucify Peter, he begged to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as our Lord. That's some of Peter's story. And Jesus knew how it was going to play out. And when Jesus pulls back the curtain just a little and he tells Peter about what's going to take place in his life, he says, follow me, Peter. In other words, I got you in this, Peter. But, But who among us wouldn't do what he does next? If God said, hey, just so you know, uh, when you're old... Um, you're going to be forced to do a bunch of stuff you don't really want to do. And this is detailing the way you die. Okay, if, if we were told someone, who among us wouldn't do the thing Peter does? Well, what about her? Like, what about him? What about all them? Looking over our shoulder and pointing our finger, getting curious about somebody else. I, I, this is Peter's story, and I said there were two at the end of this text, because the other one is John, and I don't want you to see both of these almost side by side. John's the beloved disciple. He's the author of this gospel. So listen to the next couple of verses here real quick in verses 22 through 24. I want you to see John for a second. Jesus said to Peter, if it's, you've heard this a second ago, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? Follow me. And then we're, we're told this, because of that sentence of Jesus, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not yet to, was, was uh, not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. 
So John was the only one of the group of 11 who was not martyred for his faith. Of those 11 disciples, in, uh, that, that second Sunday, I suppose, there's a group of about 11, as Judas uh, legend has it, killed himself. So 11, of those 11, I guess you can add the 12th later, John is the only one who was not killed for his faith. He lived to be an old man, retelling the stories of his friend and Lord Jesus, preaching against heresy and training up leaders for the church behind him. He died somewhere between, we think, 95 and 100 A.D. And as disciple after disciple was killed, a message began to spread in the church that John was not going to die or that Jesus would come back in glory before he died. And so either they're looking for John to, to sort of not age, or they're almost, if you can imagine this, almost an excitement might have been, been happening as disciples would die and as John would get older because it meant Jesus is coming back real soon. John looks like he's about to croak, you guys. Don't go to sleep tonight. That kind of, that kind of anticipation, right? Um, and you can maybe imagine the degree of urgency or excitement that they must have had. And so John, here at the end, he's actually, in the end of his gospel, he's coming against a false teaching in the church that has spread, which, which relates to his own life. Jesus didn't say John will remain. He didn't say that he will come back before John dies. He said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? That may sound like nuance to you. I cannot tell you how important it is to remember Jesus' words accurately. And I wonder... And I can't help but think this when I read the end of the Gospel of John. I wonder if John had something like survivor's guilt. Like looking back at all the friends of his youth on this, this band of, of brothers that formed around Jesus when the very corner of history was turned, friends. Like he could remember the sound of Jesus' voice. He, he knew the sound of his snores. He knew like the cadence, the way he walked. He knew, he knew the things that like, like the, the body language things that were like, so Jesus. Like he knew that stuff. The power of his voice when he taught. And he was the last one alive. And I wonder if he ever asked like why he wasn't counted worthy to die. Or, or similarly, but a little different, if he was just crushed with the sadness that all of his friends had died from this time of his life. So John here at the end is, is, is going against this false teaching in the church and going, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't say I'm going to die. I'm not going to die. He said, well, what if it's my will that he remains until I come back? Jesus is essentially um, communicating his power and his ability to walk with people in the way he wants to. What's it to you what I want to do with John, Peter? That's what Jesus said. And John's coming against that right here. But no matter the motive, whatever, whatever the motive John had there at the end, what's clear is that his life was very, very different than Peter's. Peter would start the church and die a martyr. He would shepherd sheep. John would hand the church off to another generation, and even in his gospel account, he would catch fish. Different people, different personalities, different gifts, different stories. Same invitation, same command. Follow me. And I wonder right now, because it's the end of a semester or whatever, and maybe you guys are just looking at finals, but somewhere right behind that, creeping in, is all the stuff that you don't like to think about. Maybe <laughs> you don't like to think about finals either, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but when you look towards summer or next year or the rest of your life, I wonder, how are you deciding what the good life looks like? 
How are you deciding what it means to live a good life? I wonder what you're comparing yourself to or against. Some cultural image of, of, a, of, a, of a woman or a man or a cultural image of a particular position in our culture. If you're comparing yourself against your older siblings or your parents, maybe your friends, people funnier, prettier, smarter, people who come from different backgrounds or have different circumstances. And I wonder how often you and I do this, look over our shoulder and ask, what about her? What about him? What about them? And friends, I want you to hear the words of our Lord to our brother Peter. What is that to you? Follow me. I don't know what story God is weaving in your life. I don't. I, don't. I know the invitation and the command that he gives you. I know that. And so this summer, you follow Jesus. With whatever job you might be doing, part-time, full-time. If you don't have one, maybe get one. Follow Jesus. With your friendships, follow Jesus. With your finances, follow Jesus. And anytime, and this is really big, anytime you're looking at something like Snapchat or Instagram, or you hear stories at family get-togethers, or when people come back from the summer and gather around and tell stories of their summer, anytime those moments happen and you begin to compare your life with theirs, your circumstances with theirs, your gifts with theirs, your personality with theirs, whatever, he, remember Jesus' words to Peter. What is that to you? You follow me. If, if you haven't discovered this yet, even when we get it, this, is, this isn't fundamental for, for the passage of Scripture. This might just be helpful for some of you. When you compare against other people, you're actually using terrible data. You don't really know. I could know all sorts of things about your life. I could know your gifts. I could know your, I know your person. I could, we could do the Enneagram until we, we don't sleep. We could do that kind of stuff. I could know your family. I could meet your friends. We could stay up all night talking. We could do BuzzFeed things all over the place. Which character in Star Wars are we? We could do all these things. That doesn't, no matter how much I know about you, that doesn't mean I actually know what it's like to be you. I don't know what it's like to carry the burdens that you carry, even if I know some of the burdens. I don't know what it's like to hope for what you hope for, even though I can name some of what you hope for. I don't know what it's like to actually be you. You don't know what it's like to be me. You see me up here, and I don't know what you think from, from a college pastor place or a 37-year-old, or uh, why does he wear his ring in his right hand, or what, whatever you do. I don't know. I could tell you all sorts of stuff about my family. You can meet all these people. That doesn't mean you actually know what it's like to be me. I, I remember the, the moment I began to think this so deeply was my first year out of college. I was working in this college ministry, and I was living with this really cool host family situation. I thought it just brought up a lot of insecurities. My host family, um, like my room and board, um, was provided for by a guy who was two and a half years older than I was, making a lot of money. And there was two other guys in their early 20s living in the house. So it was like four guys living there. I was making less than $500 a month, and I was living in a closet. Like they, they, they cleaned the closet out and made it a bedroom, but it was a closet. Uh, and so I thought this was super cool that I'm going to get to live with a bunch of guys and not a family which was a, just a terrible perspective, I suppose. Um, but, uh, but, but in the middle of this, this year, I remember sitting down with my host dad, who incidentally is one of my best friends today. Um, I was sitting down with my host dad, and, and uh, 
we were playing poker. Um, we did that almost every day, and I lost a lot of money. And it was kind of weird because we'd play for $5, and I would tell him this is literally 1% of my paycheck. Um, and he would laugh and then take my money. Um, <laughs> and then he would say, I'm buying you food, stop whining. Anyway, after a poker game one night, we, we got into a conversation about money um, because I was like, dude, what's it like to make all this money? And I just wanted to know. He, made like a t he was like 25 years old and was making a ton of money and his car was paid for by his work, his phone was paid for by his work, internet by his work, most of his meals by his work. All he did was travel all the time, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and he was, he was like, dude, it's so hard. I was like, come on, dude. Uh, he said, no, 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 man. And he began to explain to me like the temptations that he faces. He's like, Jason, I could... I could invest all this money right now knowing that it will make more money that I can give away later, but, but then that increases the temptation in me to never give. And so I could give now to work on the discipline, but then that means the net total that I give later will be less. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about uh, at the time. And, and, he, and he started talking about the fact that the more he gave, the more he realized that there's all these needs in the world and people began just asking for more and he never had enough, ever, ever, ever had enough. And he's like, I'd love to do what you're doing. I was like, what? Uh, it's like, dude, like I'm living in your house. He's like, right, but you get, people like share their lives with you. You get to like read the Bible and like my donations are paying for that. Like you get to read the Bible for a job. And I was like, but, but you go skiing, you know, like, you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I was, I didn't know what to do. And we sat there, we sat there at this table back and forth, both comparing our lives to one another. And each of us in a classic sort of grass is greener moment each of us saying to the other person, I think your life's better. But the response to it was totally, you don't really know, man. You don't actually know how, like, it's easy for you to say, like, oh, you get to go hang out with college students and read the Bible all day. And I'm like, it, and he's thinking, it's easy for you to say, you just make a lot of money and that must be fun. And, and both of us were like, you don't get it. You don't actually know what it's like to live in my shoes. We have bad data when we're comparing ourselves to one another. This is captured best, I think, in one of my favorite books by my favorite author. It's a book called The Horse and His Boy. And there's this line where the Christ figure in the book says, I only tell each person his own story. I only tell each person his own story. I want to know your stories, but I'll never finish. I'll never end it. Anyway, th th that's a, a bit of a tangent there and all that with me and John and all those things. But, but my point there is for some of us, we might think comparing is somewhat accurate. I just want to try to say to you, it's, a ter it's terrible math because you're never working with accurate numbers. When you start thinking, I wish I had their life or I wish I looked like them or had the gifts that they had or had the things that they have or didn't have the things I have and it was more like this, you actually don't know. I, I can't speak for people much beyond my age, but in the, I don't know how long I've worked at the, ho at the house, and a long time. Since 2003, I've been doing college ministry. And in all of that time, I have never, ever heard somebody's story and thought, well, that sounds pretty easy. I wish I had that one. And I've thought that before I knew them. But I've never actually talked to somebody, got to know their story, and thought, well, that sounds like a cakewalk. Ever. It's bad data. Besides, maybe you don't need all that rationale. Maybe you just need to hear the words of Jesus, who made you and formed you in your mother's womb, who literally thought you into existence. Actually, that's a terrible use of the word literally because I don't really, I don't know how to try and God has a brain, but Jesus does. That starts to get confusing. Anyway, now I'm in my head. Uh, but, but God who made you, we'll just use thought you into existence. He is, says to you, 
What is it to you what I'm doing with Jason? What is it to you I'm doing with Aaron? What is it to you I'm doing with Megan? What is that to you? You follow me. And you know why Peter does? You know why John does? You know when Jesus says, follow me to these guys, do you know why they do? Because Jesus loves them and because he's their Lord and God and they know it. He got on his knees and washed their feet. He took their sin and shame and swallowed it on the cross and he conquered death and he goes out in the morning, a lion on the loose, and he finds them in their failure, providing for them. That's what he does. This is what our God's like. He loves them to the very end with his own life and it's not generic. It's very personal. We see it in the threefold invitation to Peter giving Peter this chance to reaffirm his love for every time he had denied Jesus. We see it in Jesus letting John, little teenager John, who was one-upping Peter the whole time, and he's this little punk teenager, and Peter's probably the oldest of the group. Here's John trailing along behind, just overhearing a conversation between Jesus and Peter. What grace that Jesus lets him overhear that so that John in his old age could look back on that moment and have truth to fight the lies he was facing and carry the church into the second century. They followed Jesus because Jesus loved them and he was their Lord and God. And I love that John's gospel doesn't just end with, with Jesus proclaimed as Lord and God. If you remember, if you've been with us this semester or you've listened to any benediction all semester, um, John has a very clear mission statement for his gospel that you would know Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and that through believing in him, you would have life in his name. And then this clarion declaration of who God is at the end of John chapter 20 from Thomas. My Lord and my God. And if I were watching this on stage, I would expect the curtain to drop at that moment. Because that, 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 that uh, finished, that, that culminated, that was a, a crescendo in his big mission thing here. It happened. This declaration of truth about who Jesus is, like that. And then there's this, this, this epilogue at the very end, m mirroring, in any case, the prologue at the beginning. But there's this epilogue at the very end, and it doesn't end with just Jesus proclaimed as Lord and God. It ends with the risen Lord and God empowering Peter to launch the church and shepherd God's people, and empowering John to fish for the hearts of mankind and carry the church into the future. His gospel, John's gospel, ends not with a declaration, but with mission. With mission. With Jesus as Lord and God, as Christ and Son of God, launching his, his people off into the future, giving them the authority and the power and the things that they need to do the work that he's called them to do. I love that. And on that note, I, 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 I have in my... That we've, that's, the, that's the gospel of John. We finished the gospel of John. We actually went through the whole thing this semester. And I, I have in my mind, because some of you, for some of you truly, <laughs> uh, I'll see you in the resurrection <laughs> uh, after the next couple weeks, which I hate in some ways. I love in others. Um, this might be the last chance I get to proclaim the gospel to some of you. And so I just want to say it simply tonight. Jesus loves you and has died for you and rose again for you. Follow him, follow him, follow him. Stop looking over your stinking shoulder and don't do it alone. This is a family business. And I can think of no better way to celebrate God's love for us, to be united together in him and to follow our great king into the future and to obey our Lord through taking communion together, all right? So we're gonna do that tonight.
And Kirsten's gonna come up and she's gonna lead us in this. And friends, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. This great sacrament and sign which sits at the center of our gatherings around the world reminds us of God's love for us and his command to follow him in loving others as he has loved us. And so we're gonna do this together tonight and we're gonna thank God for who he is and what he's done. And may we hear in him the same words he spoke to Peter. Don't worry about anybody else. I got you, you follow me. Let's pray and then Kirsten's gonna come up. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for his story. Thank you for John and his story. Thank you for the faithful men and women who've done so much work bringing us this gospel. But tonight, um, looking at ending a season of our lives or the semester, hopefully wanting to finish strong, we also look ahead and um, I pray that in your word and the songs that we sing and being together in the sacrament of communion, that you remind us that you know us, that you love us uniquely. We don't need to worry about everybody else. You tell us to follow you. May we obey you even in this. Um, will, you, will you unite us faithfully and send us into the future faithfully?